All right, there has been a lot of hubbub in the news over the last week or so about uh, President Trump declaring Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and uh, moving the American embassy and so on. And um, I don't want to re- really talk about the, the political landscape of it all and, and all that because, you know, that's maybe another day, another, another podcast with some friends chatting through that. Um, and as a Canadian, you always got to, you know, recognize that you're not really, I mean, while well, we're all part of the conversation, of course, cause it's kind of a big global, that's what globalization has created is that we don't only just care about the realities and politics of our own country, but, uh, those of other countries as well, because everybody's so connected now and it affects everybody. It's not like it was, you know, uh, 200 years ago, we all just made policies and did stuff in our own in our own world. Um, but, uh, I want to take more of the theological, uh, uh, angle on it. And, uh, and, and what, what I've seen on social media is Christians, uh, really getting excited and jacked up and, uh, you know, kind of declaring this as part of the end time schema of, uh, of, uh, God and, um, and talking about how, you know, Israel, Jerusalem being declared as Israel's capital city is um, part of, you know, the, the, the end times and how this is kind of going to usher in the end and, and um, you know, all of that. And so that's more what, what is caught my attention. Um, and, and I just, you know, think that people have to be very careful with this for a couple of reasons. I think first, you know, that whole that whole view, I mean, first and foremost, the most important thing is often when I see people on social media or talk to them riffing on this and saying, Hey, this is the end times and whatever. Um, they don't tend to have a lot of Bible verses and that's kind of issue. Number one is I think what has happened is there's been a whole construct of theology around what's called eschatology, meaning eschatology is the study of last things. So in, uh, in, you know, in, in systematic theology class, you know, you, you study different categories, you study soteriology and soter is the word for the Greek word for salvation. You study, you know, theology proper and theo is the, you know, Greek word for God and so on and so forth. Ecclesiology, the Greek word for the church, pneumatology, the Greek word for the spirit. So it's like the study of the spirit, the study of the church and so on. So when it comes to last things or the end times or whatever, we, it's called eschatology and that, that Greek word eschaton is, is last things. And so, um, what, what people have been given is kind of this, uh, eschatological framework, whether it's growing up in the church or whatever. And there's of course different views on this, but, but the most popular in the, the Western world, um, has been this, this kind of this package deal where, um, there's all these kind of ideas about the rapture and, um, how important, you know, uh, the land of Israel is and how there's going to come this point after the rapture and this and the end times and then this happens and then there's a seven year this and the Antichrist rises here and then he does this and then, and then, you know, we go and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and, and, and when, you know, in, in, uh, in 1967, when Israel was declared, you know, its own state that, you know, that was the fulfillment of, 
you know, this idea that they're going to get their land back because they lost it and all these things. And, and so all of these get wrapped up. And I remember as a new Christian watching television, the only, the only exposure I had to Christianity was watching television, these late night guys putting all the, the newspaper clippings of the latest week together and showing why everything basically that happened in the news was a fulfillment of prophecy. And what they would use are these vague Bible verses that last week was a, meant a fulfillment of this event, but now this week they're being used as a fulfillment of this event because there's only so many verses you can use. And they're usually vague and you know embedded in some kind of abstract, obscure passage and, you know, deep in Ezekiel somewhere or something. And so, um, there's a few things to say about this. And the first one is just, I don't think there is a biblical case for this. I haven't seen somebody really unpack. Here's the Bible verses, not, not the kind of theological package people were handed way back in the day that just assumes these things, but here are the literal three or four verses in the Bible that prophesy Israel getting back, you know, its capital from a president, you know, or whatever, however they want it to read. I haven't even seen a good vague one about why this fulfills any kind of prophetic anything. Uh, And so I'm not convinced that this ushers anything in. I'm not convinced that this is anything to do with the end times. And I think, you know, yes, of course, Jesus could come back tomorrow. Jesus could come back before this podcast's over. Um, and, uh, and, and maybe many of you hope he will. <laughs> and, and maybe he comes back in 450,000 years or a million. I, we have no idea about that. Even Jesus himself, when asked when that time was, said only the Father knows. Uh, there's constant warning in the New Testament about you know messing around with this kind of stuff mythology and getting distracted but then of course there's nothing wrong with wanting to be watchful and be aware and all of that so that's all good stuff but I just don't think the New Testament or the Old Testament gives us some kind of detailed timeline map that tells us when we're living in the absolute last moments and and that that has anything to do with America or um, or China or you know, Russia or whatever, we, we project these things onto our present day. And I don't know if it's because we want to feel important, but you look through the church, you look through church history and you know, the church has always felt that it was in the end times. Like they were the last group. Martin Luther thought that 500 years ago, this is the end we're done. You know, people in world war two, of course, thought Hitler was the antichrist and so on. And and so we just have to be, the second thing is just got to be careful. Don't be so, we can't be so dogmatic about what we think is this, this moment. Because people looking in from the outside think we're crazy. And I think that's, there's something there. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't believe things that outsiders think are crazy, you know, if they're biblical, if they're very clearly doctrinally correct, then who cares what the world thinks? But if they're vague and seem to be just kind of scratching uh, some kind of, uh, you know, let me look into my crystal ball, you know, entertainment, Christian entertainment. Uh, I think it can, I think it can hurt our witness because over and over the church has just been dead wrong 
we've just been wrong. We've said this is the end, this is the end. It has nothing to do with anything. So um, the passage, the third thing to say is there are alternate views of these things within Christianity that, you know, people have been handed kind of this most popular one because it's the one on the TV and the one on, you know, in the books growing up in the 60s and 70s and 80s and tend to be the one that's preached from a lot of church pulpits in the West. And so people just assume it and it gets wrapped up in this kind of, you know, evangelical Americana that is about this driving force of, uh, what what isn't always clear kind of a Christian ideology, American uh, Canadian ideology of power and so on and, and being the center point of some kind of movement in, in the end times. But there's this um, framework that's been given that n- not a lot of people question or they just think, well, that's what it is. I was talking to a friend the other day and and he said, yeah, well, this is what happens. And he laid out like seven points about what happened that he just kind of got growing up in the church and I said okay you know here we got an hour together why don't you show me the bible passages where that whole framework that you just talked about is is laid out like what what makes you think this event has anything to do with the bible or whatever and um and he was like oh I don't I don't have any I I just that's what I always figured and so what we have to understand is there is alternate ways of understanding this. For instance, one of the passages that people use uh, to explain this is um, the there's kind of these four in the in the in the three gospels. There's moments of in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, there's these passages that you know four or five major passages that talk about what people look at and cite for the end times. So they look at Matthew 24 and. Mark 13 and Luke 21 and uh, and say this is you know Jesus is here talking about the end and whatever but we have to understand most scholars also recognize um, that that's not really what this those passages are about now some scholars say that yes that's what the passage is about on the other you know hand there's a group that say no that has nothing to do with what it's about and then others say well that's partly what it has to do because those whole passages, uh, if you look at Mark 13, for instance, they're not asking about the end times. <clears throat> the disciples come to Jesus and ask him um, when the temple is going to be destroyed because that's what he has just been talking about. And so he kind of gets in, you see them ask the question at the beginning of Mark 13, when is this temple going to be destroyed? And then he talks and it's all red letters and he never kind of stops he starts to say, yeah, the, you know, this is going to happen and this is going to happen and the sun's going to turn, you know, so on and so forth. And he uses this apocalyptic, uh, language, which we have to understand was a genre at that time, apocalyptic literature that had metaphors and symbols to explain, you know, historical realities in a spiritual way was a, was a whole genre of literature at the time. It was like Tolkien and you don't read Tolkien like you read the newspaper, Right, you read Tolkien and you say this is fantasy, this is apocalyptic, this is symbolic explaining. So when stars are falling out of the sky and and uh, you know someone's riding on clouds and so on, this isn't meant to be read as a newspaper. It's meant to be read as fantasy, as apocalyptic, as explaining, having theological meaning and investing historical moments with theological meaning. And so he looks at the at the temple. 
And he says, one day this thing's going to be destroyed. And he speaks about 40 years in the future when Rome comes and sacks Jerusalem. There was a war from 66 to 70 AD. Jesus, of course, died and resurrected in 33, 34 AD. And so 40 years after him, there's a Jewish war where there's an uprising against Rome. And Rome comes in and burns Jerusalem to the ground and destroys the temple, which was their holy place. Uh, done and it's never been it's never been rebuilt in in the way that the Bible talks about it and Jesus said that when this happens this is judgment upon uh, a people who rejected me uh, the Messiah came to declare something uh, that he was the son he was coming to fulfill and 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 Israel rejected the son that the that the vineyard owner sent into the garden this is what Matthew, mark 12 is about and then it moves right into mark 13 and so there's going to be judgment and God's going to use Rome and they're going to come in and destroy the temple. And there's no indication in Mark 13 that he ever starts, he never shifts the conversation to, but now let me give you a thing about, you know, the end times and, uh, and my, my second coming. Because they're not asking about his second coming because they don't even know he's going anywhere yet. We're only in Mark 13. He hasn't told them about leaving. So they're asking about when is the destruction of the temple going to happen? What does it mean? And he responds with all this apocalyptic language. So if you go in and read it, he draws on Daniel chapter 7 and so on. And he's investing this historical event with theological meaning. And he's saying it's going to be apocalyptic. It's going to be the end of the world. It's going to be the end of the, you know, the religious world, the spiritual world. Um, and, there, and so he's, he's drawing all kinds of vindication of, of, of the true Israel. You know, all these, this meaning behind it that, that, you know, won't bother getting into. But the point is, is that there are many people, you don't have to just take the package of theology that says, you know, hey, look, uh, because really, I think what the New Testament's saying, and this is my view on it, is that, the, that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that veil got torn in the temple, that the purpose of the temple, the significance of the temple stopped. It was over. It was surpassed. It was, it was uh, superseded and came to an end. It had its place. But now if you read the New Testament, if you read all the whole New Testament, you never get any indication that that holy land matters anymore. That, that uh, a strip of turf in Palestine, you know, matters in, in the context of a theological significance anymore. You don't see the disciples saying, we've got to fight for Holy Land, or, or, or that the temple matters anymore, or that sacrifices. You read the book of Hebrews, read Galatians, read Romans, read Revelation. Um, none of the, all of them are moving away from that's the way it is, and that's what's significant too. What's significant now is Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and the Holy Spirit, which is now we're in an epoch of Christ and the Spirit, and we've moved away from an epoch, an era of land and temple and these, these kind of uh, geo-political uh, realities, and it's now about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is this transnational people made up of every ethnicity, and the land was kind of this signpost. It was, a, it was a down payment. It was a pointer into the future that now God's going to take over the whole world. And that's what God's doing when he's dealing with Abraham way back in Genesis 12. He's saying, you're going to you know, take over everything, not just one particular people according to the flesh. 
that are connected to uh, a piece of land. And so um, I think we have to be more careful. We have to do our research. We have to understand there are multiple understandings of these texts and these ideas and, uh, and understand that we work tirelessly for the, for the conversion of all people um, and, 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 and to come alongside of all people in the kingdom, um, Palestinian or, or Jewish, uh, Chinese, uh, Ugandan, you know, whatever, that these things are really about every ethnicity and, uh, and that we're, we're pushing Jesus, we're pushing the kingdom, we're pushing life in the spirit and not a political agenda about necessarily one people group uh, that we want to support over another people group and attach Bible verses to it. So that's my riff a bit uh, this week on the end times. Um, hopefully that's helpful and uh, hopefully we can move to a place of, of really digging into the scriptures. That's really my core thing. If you're going to believe something, and maybe it will be this other view, then just make sure that it's based on the Bible and you have a good scriptural base, not just uh, assume something or, or kind of just collect it over time uncritically.